Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Tuesday morning and welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Sarah Isa with Mike Santoli, live from Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. David Faber joins us today from the 13D Monitors Active Passive Investor Summit happening in New York City today. More on that in just a moment. Carl Quintanilla is on assignment. Taking a look at futures this morning, we are set up for... A lower open, Dow futures down about 100 points after we gained 1% yesterday on the major averages. The S&P futures down 25, digesting better bank earnings from Bank of America and Goldman Sachs. And hotter retail sales, we're also seeing higher bond yields. That looks like it's standing in the way of the rally this morning. Our roadmap is going to begin with a slew of corporate results. Goldman and B of A both delivering beats. J&J raises its full year sales forecast. And Lockheed Martin says it expects to grow sales this year. Plus, retail sales coming in much stronger than expected. The 10-year, well, that is rising. And stocks are on track, as Sarah just told you, for what looks to be a lower open about 29 minutes from now. And fresh off reports of plans to see changes at News Corp, or perhaps at least uh, liking what it means as an investment. Starboard's Jeff Smith is going to join me this hour, live from the 13D Monitor's Active Passive Conference, which we cover every year chock full of uh, activists. We start, though, with Bank of America and Goldman Sachs, of course, both post-quarterly results that were above at least what most analysts had been anticipating. B of A seems to be the outperformer right now when it comes to the market, although, again, we haven't opened as yet. Uh, Mike, you know, both coming in better, both with certainly their share of concerns as well, whether it be uh, with Goldman in terms of the continued... um, drag that consumer has on the business, even though it's such a small percentage overall, or Bank America's balance sheet, which we've talked about many times, and that large bond portfolio, average duration, far longer than many other banks, that obviously has a lot of embedded losses, not going to realize those, but nonetheless does have an impact on net interest income, but better than expected net interest income this quarter. Yeah, and David, all those concerns are ones that we've pretty much had in front of us before the report. So we, we, we knew they were going to be a drag. We knew there was going to be a little bit of messiness in some of the uh, some of the results. And so the only suspense was, do we have any further bad surprises in the numbers? Are the credit trends looking worrisome or not? Uh, and what is the core business? Uh, how is it operating right now? And how are uh, ultimate end customers doing? And it seems on all those fronts, more or less reassuring. Uh, it seems like Bank of America, you know, continues to play plug ahead in the core business. Uh, Net interest income, you know, actually up pretty healthily uh, over the prior year. Even capital markets for both companies. Uh, Goldman Sachs, very strong fixed income uh, and currency and uh, and, uh, commodities trading. And sometimes in a given quarter, that's a little bit of like uh, it's a zero-sum game among the banks. Some of them got it right. Some of them didn't. And maybe the market doesn't put a big multiple on those earnings on a short-term basis. But I think it was okay. And I think that's the push-pull, Sarah, that you mentioned in this market, which is 
fundamentals looking okay. The banks so far have given you nothing new to worry about. Uh, and yet, higher bond yields are the, the big worry point, and we have a stronger no everything's too good, economy. right? Exactly. Lots of bank beats, and then retail sales are strong. Look, the Bank of America, by the way, just from the call, the CFO says it is raising the net interest income forecast in 2023 to about nine percent. So, following in the footsteps of Wells Fargo, which also raised its net interest income forecast. David, you mentioned the big worry was on the the. <laughs> The balance sheet this quarter, right? They did they did yeah. raise the amount, $131.6 billion of those unrealized losses on securities held to maturity in the third quarter. That was up from $106 billion in paper losses in the second quarter. Again, they're paper losses, and it's confusing of, of just how much investors should be paying attention and worrying about this. Because I spoke to a number of analysts last night about this issue, and you know, Stephen Chuback of Wolf Research, we've t talked to Erica Nigerian, for instance, as well. And they just they don't see it as as big of a deal as the market appears to be making it because these securities are held to maturity. So they are not anticipated right. to take those losses. And they're in a very good capital position and capital shape. That That's the debate on this stuff. Yeah. No, I mean, you're right. And I don't even know if it's that much of a debate. Um, because it is a G50, as you say, there's no expectation, of course, that there's going to be anything like what we saw in the spring involving Bank of America. And so to your point, they're not going to be in a position where they have to actually uh, start to eliminate some of that position. That said, Sarah, it can have an impact, though, sure. when you're getting paid a very small interest rate on a very large amount of capital uh, that you're holding. And right. meanwhile, deposit rates have to go up on the other side. So I guess that's why there was a bit of a surprise, perhaps, that net interest income was a bit better than anticipated. You know, the other thing I know you monitor and we'll be talking to Brian Moynihan about later in the in the program mm -hmm. is the consumer and, you know, their view of that. And I'm curious to see what your thoughts were, what they've said so far, at least in the release, about sort of what they're <laughs> seeing on that front. So here's from the statement. And yes, looking forward to that interview with Brian in the next hour. But here's what he's saying so far. A healthy but slowing economy that saw U.S. consumer spending still ahead of last year, but continuing to slow. And then if you go through some of the numbers, for instance, um, I pulled out the credit card loss rate. It did rise to 2.722% in the third quarter, 26 in the quarter before. But that's still below, David, the Q4 2019 level of 303%. Loan loss provisions, they almost doubled them. They did increase them, Mike, and they yeah. did cite credit card loans that they're worried about. But again, and you know, we, we have this great chart of everybody's, you know, Bank of America, you can add to the group and how much they set aside for bad loans. Bank of America's was a little bit higher this quarter, but they're lower than expected in general. And they're not flashing any signs, David, of, of anything particularly worrisome or at least more worrisome than we saw in 2019. It feels like they're more normalizing these trends. But I'll definitely ask him about it. Yeah. Um, and then, Mike, we've got Goldman Sachs to take a look at. I mean, what, what you know, listen, I, I'm not piling on here at all. You can see the stock is barely, barely down at this point. We'll see how it performs. Of course, it has not had a great year in the market. To be fair, neither have almost any financial services companies uh, overall, given the significant rise in rates. But, Mike, that annualized return on equity, I mean, it's not that long ago that, you know, it was a lot higher than the 7.1 percent for the third quarter, yeah. not to mention year to date about 7.6 percent. 
No doubt about it. Um, it it's a different business. Now, they, they did have a, a, just a pile of extraordinary items, a lot of the write-downs, a lot of those things flowing through uh, to the income statement from prior investments, right, exiting a lot of those consumer lending businesses. I think they say that would have added, what, three percentage points yes. or something in ROE? Um, and so, yep. you know, you're, you're up around 10. It's still not that impressive necessarily relative, certainly, to where Goldman used to trade, even next to something like a J.P. Morgan or even uh, B of A. And so I do think it's still a work in progress in terms of getting uh, investment banking humming again. I mean, when there's not a lot of deals, that's just a high overhead business that doesn't pay you very much. Uh, and then I think the other question is, what does the stock already incorporate? Right? Trades at book value. <laughs> okay? It's not trading at a level that implies that it's going to be a high return business over years. Book value per share uh, in the latest quarter comes in at 313.83. It's exactly where the stock's trading. Tangible exactly book. Exactly where the stock 292 is. 292 yep. and change. It's like 1.07 times tangible book. So, I mean, that's either your, your bull case for, for the upside here if they can you know, get, get the returns a little bit higher or it just sort of shows you um, that it's just a, it's a tougher business without as much leverage and without as much risk taking. And David, I would just add one one more ROE to that. The core business, you know, which is markets and banking, yeah. tw was 12 ROE in that business, and they beat in the core business by a billion dollars in revenue. They did. They were underwriters for some key IPOs this quarter: Arm deal, Instacart deal. There's some M&A happening. Remember last quarter, David Solomon said green shoots when it comes to capital markets. Um, maybe more muted now because of the geopolitical environment and the move up in rates we've seen. But there is some activity, and that's Goldman's bread and butter. It's more than 70 percent of their business. And in that business, they're doing well. It's kind of the other stuff, the, the green sky right down, the, the real estate investments. And that's what's, that's what's been weighing on overall results and also taking a lion's share of the attention on, on the headlines as well. Yeah, as it has and perhaps it shouldn't because, again, as a percentage overall, as we all know, it's very small. I did ask David Solomon about it the last time we were able to speak about a month, a little over a month ago when we were in uh, at uh, Communicopia in San Francisco. He talked about the action they've taken in the consumer business and why they took decisive action. Take a listen. We made a decision, you know, six, seven, eight years ago when we started this, seven, eight years ago, to also get into credit you know, for consumers. And there are a variety of things that have changed where we think that we shouldn't you know, enter that space as aggressively. And so- What are, the, what are the, some I, of the things? I think the regulatory environment has changed. I, I think that scaling those businesses you know, in this environment is a little bit harder um, than it might have been in a different environment. And so we made the decision to pair it back. What I hear from most of our investors and shareholders is they admire that we tried something, and they also admire that we quickly made the decision that we didn't think it was working the way we wanted to pair it back and make a change. And so we made a change. Uh, we're very, very focused on our core business of banking and markets, which we've grown really nicely. And of course, Sarah, as you say, the key here will be uh, continued recovery in the capital markets, the M&A environment. That's where the bread and butter is, obviously, fixed income, currency and commodities. And that's what the market will be focused on. Their hope is that as we move into next year, that momentum that we've seen to some extent, will continue. Right. I mean, we did have a big, big deal, right, that they're involved in recently with Exxon Pioneer. So it's happening. There, there's M&A. There are IPOs. Not sure how much more of that's going to happen, given some of the changes that we've just seen in recent weeks, David. But that, that is, I think, that the core business here, and that performed very well. I think relative, the 12% ROE on that business was better than J.P. Morgan. So they can point to that while they continue to do work on the consumer side 
which is still sort of unraveling and, and creating some of the write downs and the drag. Yep. All right, Sarah, we're going to move on here. Uh, President Biden is set to depart for Israel tonight. He is looking to show support for that country in the mystic course of that war with Hamas. NBC's Jay Gray is in Tel Aviv and has the latest for us. Jay. Hey there. Yeah. And look, obviously, the people here in Tel Aviv are very pleased to hear that the president will be making this trip. Uh, some of the older Israelis I've spoken with say they never thought in their lifetime they would see a sitting U.S. president coming into this area during war times uh, to show such strong support for the country. And uh, that is something that the president fully intends to do and has done since this war started. And he continues to want to make sure that not only Israel knows that, but the rest of the world sees this as the U.S having the back of Israelis here. But he's also coming, uh, walking a tightrope when it comes to humanitarian aid, because the White House has made it clear that that is going to be a primary focus of this trip as well. And getting that aid into Gaza to some of those who are innocent civilians just trapped in the ongoing battle. And that's been a problem, obviously. The Rafah border uh, with Egypt has been closed and remains closed. Despite uh, several days of on and off diplomacy that looked like it might result in a ceasefire at one point for several hours with the ability for foreign nationals to cross and escape Gaza and for supplies to get in, it still to this point has not happened. We did hear from the White House uh, with the president uh, preparing for his trip here, and they say they feel like it's something uh, that is gaining some traction. And, and so that is a primary focus, getting that food, water, uh, fuel and medicine into those who, for the better part of 12 days, just have not had any of those things. And so that's something we'll be watching very closely during his trip. So you've got the buildup of foreign nationals trying to get out, uh, the uh, all of the supplies trying to get in. And then on the other end of all of this, you've got the buildup of uh, Israeli troops and equipment continuing to say that they are preparing for what will be in a ground assault. And, and when you talk to those that aren't on that front line, that are in places like Tel Aviv, they're very concerned about that movement. They believe for the most part it's something that has to be done. That's what most of the civilians here will tell you. Uh, but they are concerned for the loss of life that will come with that type of ground combat. And so that's something uh, I, I think that they're continuing to watch very closely as well. A, a lot, as it has, it sounds kind of foolish to say, but uh, as it has been for quite some time, a lot changing very quickly uh, hour to hour. The one thing, and I'll wrap with this, is that uh, we've had a relatively silent day overhead. The, the iron Dome hasn't been tested today. It was late last night. We heard some uh, artillery as a result of uh, missiles being fired in this direction, but stopped by that dome, as all of them have. But today, it's, it's been really quiet. Uh, yesterday, Secretary Blinken had to run, run for shelter with Prime Minister Netanyahu. Jay Gray in Tel Aviv, thank you very much yes. for the update today. As investors, you know, might continue to watch Thanks. this. It's interesting that we have seen that Treasury safe haven bid that we saw last week reverse. Yeah. So in other Very words, maybe one, really. as it does not get worse at the moment, we're not seeing the safe haven bid. The Lockheed Martin earnings were out. I know that's in focus. Or is the safe haven bid just not benefiting Treasuries because of other factors? Gold is up a little bit. So yep. you've had some that's people frank. trying to figure out if, in fact, it's serving that similar purpose as in, in past crises. Although I'm, Friday was a little bit of a risk off time. The other obviously interesting thing they're watching besides Biden in Israel is Putin is in yes. Beijing she, yeah. with Xi 
about Belt and Road. So the changing international world order, something we're all trying to figure out. We've got some more economic data here in the U.S. to add to the mix. Excuse me. This is industrial production and capacity utilization after that strong retail sales report. Let's get to Rick Santelli. Rick. Yes, we're expecting uh, industrial production capacity utilization for the month of September. And do keep in mind that the recent trends have been towards a slight strengthening uh, in these indices, especially utilization rate. We want to see which side, of course, 80 it's on. I haven't seen it cross the wires, but quickly, uh, just to look at interest rates, we continue to see higher yields and lower prices as the day wears on. Part of that, of course, is retail sales. And many say that, you know, where's the flight to safety considering the Mideast, as your conversation point out. But maybe it's there. You just can't see it because it's swamped by the selling. Up three-tenths of one percent on industrial production. Definitely better than the number we we're expecting, which would have been unchanged. That still follows a slightly better up four-tenths that has yet to be revised. And if you look at utilization rates, inching a bit closer towards 80, expecting 79.6, 79.7, which is exactly in the rearview mirror, the same number. We have been slightly below 80 all year. You have to go back to November last year for a number over 80. Interest rates not moving much more on this particular data, but we are nonetheless hovering near the highest yields so far on this move. Squawk on the Street will return after a short break. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. The Biden administration says that it plans to halt shipments to China of more AI chips designed by NVIDIA and others. Christina Partsinobulus joins us now. Christina, this is having an impact on NVIDIA shares, as you might expect. What do we know? Well, the export controls are not designed to impair China's economic growth, but they are meant to inhibit China's military from gaining technological advancements. This according to Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo. So a year after introducing export controls to China, the Commerce Department is officially today expanding those restrictions. Not only will advanced computing chips be limited by performance, but they'll also be limited by density. So that means you can't take a bunch of weaker chips and weave them together for faster speed. Companies that want to export AI chips to China or other embargoed regions, there's about 40 countries on that list, they'll have to notify the U.S. government to do so. Additional chip equipment will be restricted, impacting names like KLA and applied materials. And to your point, David, that means NVIDIA's A800 as well as the H800, which are watered-down versions of the GPUs ubiquitous with AI that we always talk about, well, those chips are now restricted. NVIDIA has previously said one-fourth of its data center revenues from, come from China, and so that could have an impact longer term. Shares, you can see, are lower, almost 4% right now. Intel also has an AI chip for China, the Gaudi 2, which could be restricted. Intel recently pointed to improved demand from China as one of 
the key underlining factors in its outlook for AI revenues of a billion dollars in 2024. Those restrictions could change that goal. AMD has also been working with Chinese hyperscalers on AI chips, and TSMC could also lose some Chinese customer revenue given it has a presence in the United States and would be subject to those restrictions. And that's why you can see the share price are off for all of these names. The secretary did try to assure reporters that China still imports hundreds of billions of semiconductors from the U.S., and these controls will impact, quote, a very small fraction of this total perhaps trying to set a lighter tone ahead of the President Biden's meeting with Chinese leader Xi Jinping in just a few weeks. Sarah? All right, Christina, thank you for the update there. When we come back, do not miss Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan. It's a first on CNBC interview in the next hour. Taking a look at futures as we march toward the opening bell just nine minutes away. Looks like we're set to open lower and moving south. Dow futures down 133. S&P futures down 30, giving back some of yesterday's big rally. We'll be right back. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, we got an opening bell just a few minutes away. And not long after that, I'm going to be joined right here at the Active Passive Summit by Jeff Smith. He just finished his presentation uh, for TRIA. GoDaddy, but most importantly, perhaps News Corp as well, amongst those names that he was discussing. We're going to sit down and talk about activism and, in particular, uh, News Corp and a few others with him. Stay with us. We're back right after this. Stocks are set for lower open. Reaction in part to some key economic data. September retail sales handily beating expectations, up 0.7% overall, up six, of, six tenths of a percent, excluding. Autos, and I'll give you a few other numbers just to highlight the extent of this beat. So the expectation was 0.3. This was more than double that. And if you strip out gas, which obviously was a was a big deal, it still is a strong number. The most important number within overall retail sales is the control group. That's what feeds into economic growth. And it was also surprisingly strong, 0.6 percent versus 0.2 percent. In August, if you break down where Americans are spending the most money, online sales got a big boost this month, so non-store. Big one was in the miscellaneous stores. That's like convenience stores, a 3% jump in the month of September from August. Gas stations, obviously, we're spending more money there. Food, we're spending more money there. But it's not universal. You know, there are winners and losers, and you can see that basically in what's happening with retail stocks and in the categories here. For instance, negative spending in electronics, negative spending in apparel, appliances, building yeah. materials. That's just not where Americans are prioritizing their, their spending. But still, it's a remarkable number, Mike, in the face of the student loan payment resumption, which did start back up in September. We were looking for that. The, um, the rate shock that consumers have been say- seeing as far as higher interest rates and yeah. just where we are in this cycle, nobody expected to see this kind of strength from the U.S. consumer. Yeah, and upward revisions to August as well, which was a sort of soft number. Um, it has led uh, Morgan Stanley economist Ellen Zentner raising her third quarter GDP number from four and a half to four nine. Uh, she kind of b- dials back and says retail sales year to date up three point eight percent. Now that's including inflation. So real, you're flat. So basically, 
It's right. These aren't inflation adjusted. Are earning what to they're know. Are, are, are spending what they're earning, right? You're up four percentage wage wise, uh, and so it's continuing. And the bond market reaction is kind of all you needed to know in terms of explaining stocks. You're up to 482 or three on the 10-year, 515 on the twos. It's not really revising this idea of oh, the Fed's got to go much higher, but the staying higher is the is the point. No, it doesn't make them have to raise rates. It does allow them to stay higher for even longer. Yes. Bond bearish. transition investments company looks like at the opening bell we're going to reverse some of yesterday's gains yesterday was a weird day and i think we should just pause on it for a moment because we saw this big one percent rally even though apple was weak jp morgan couldn't hold its post earnings gains the treasury yields were higher all of those things usually would not add up to rally as matt maley of miller tayback a lot of the laggards did did perform you had two percent up in the bank index at one point um, I, will, I will note it was the 15th straight Monday when the S&P 500 was higher. Really unusual streak. I mean, it goes back to late June. What happens on Tuesday? Here's the interesting part. So the last, the first Monday we were up in this streak, the S&P was at like 44.50. So we're down on net over the period when we have not had a down Monday. Now, there was Labor Day in there, and the Tuesday after Labor Day was down. Whatever you want to say about the streak, it's quirky. Uh, but my point is there's something... Uh, that is getting people maybe to just, you know, kind of slide some into equities at the beginning of a week. Um, yes, it was somewhat unusual. And the other thing about the, the rally was the S&P 500 went right up to last week's highs, which is like, you know, 4380 or so. And it stopped pretty much there. And that's been the high about three times since last week. Now, why does that matter? Well, it's kind of where it, we broke down in, uh, in late September. So on a technical basis, people are trying to figure out if we got the horses to get above that at this point. At the same time, it's this sort of expectation that earnings are going to continue to come in better than expected. We have the uptick, uptick mm-hmm. in 12-month forward estimates. Uh, and yet it's about bond yields kind of detracting from that. And I'll just come back to again. It's all about whether the economy can hack what's happening in bond market, not just a pure valuation pass-through of higher yields into stocks. Um, We have the strong economy right now, and is it going to be strong and then a stumble? Uh, To me, that's the embedded concern. That's why you're not seeing a buying binge in Bank of America. I mean, if if the economy is going to be okay, Bank of America is going to be okay. The loss rates are not going to go through the moon. Uh, But nobody's willing to make that bet that on this side of a potential late cycle erosion of conditions uh, that they want to pay up for the stock. I think it's also questions about just what is causing bond yields to go up so far so fast. I know that that's a headwind for the economy. And then there are also questions about stability and liquidity in the bond market itself. David, looks like the only sector that's going to open higher today is energy as oil's unchanged, but we keep our eye on that 10-year at 4.832, and the S&P is lower, NASDAQ's down 1%. What are you watching? Yeah, we're keeping an eye, again, uh, that 10-year. Um, listen, uh, Christina's uh, report was an important one. Uh, NVIDIA shares are down over 4%. You've got the other chip companies as well that perhaps may be impacted in some way by this increased ban to a certain extent. But what you also have to be aware of is the potential response from China and what that, if anything, will look like. Remember, of course, some of the um, actions they took against Micron, for example. And so uh, I would use as a reference point shares of VMware, BMW. Remember, it is in a deal to be acquired by Broadcom. 
The expectation is that's not far away, but will China try to put up some um, problems for them? Let's just leave it at that. I, you know, I don't want to go too far here, but take a look at what that's looked like, you know, in terms of approvals. What will it mean? What, will, what do they need to get there? And will there be a response from China in some way to this latest um, action by the U.S. when it comes to advanced AI chips? Yeah. So, Sarah, that's one thing I'm keeping an eye on. Yeah. The other is uh, a hostel in the, in the uh, hotel industry, which is worth mentioning, of course. We're talking about Choice Hotels proposing to uh, acquire Wyndham, uh, 90 bucks a share. It's a cash and stock deal. $49.50 in cash, the remainder in shares of choice. Never that easy to push a hostel when a lot of it is made up of stock. Um, the CEO of choice was a guest earlier on Squawk Box, and he talked about what they were willing to pay and why they were willing to pay uh, that $90 number. Take a listen. Over the past five years since they've been a separate standalone company, We've had effectively a two times multiple advantage over their business. And so the shareholders have sort of in their world and in our world seen that difference in the gap of the earnings multiples that we've had. What we're offering is actually to pay them something very close to our historic multiple, not theirs. So we feel like it's a very compelling offer for their shareholders. They also included in the release their latest letter uh, dated August 21st. Obviously, they were rebuffed. Uh, by Wyndham. And interestingly, in the letter, they raise the reasons why. And, you know, it's kind of giving regulators a heads up that says, hey, Wyndham's worried, at least, about how long it would take to get regulatory approvals. Maybe you should be, too, or maybe we should be, uh, saying the following. Wyndham acknowledged the strategic rationale of the proposal. This is at least what they say in, uh, in the release. And that terms were within a negotiable range, but it raised questions um, regarding the value of the stock first component, which we just said, about 45% of the overall, and timing for obtaining regulatory approvals. Wyndham shares are up nicely. Uh, Choice, of course, is down. Uh, it is a Delaware company. You, there is no staggered board, but this is not going to take place, Mike, if anything were to happen in terms of moving on that board until at least the spring. So you yeah. got a while here to play this thing out. For sure. And, you know, David, I, you know, the, the, the choice CEO's rationale on the multiple they're willing to pay, uh, it makes sense. But another thing that often happens is $90 is like a couple of ticks above the all-time high trading price in Wyndham from the end of 2021. It was like 89 and change. It's so often that's a gambit where you say, look, we'll take you out at the highest price you ever fetched in the market, at least as a starting point uh, for this process. Of course, the equity component of the offer being that, that factor that you can't necessarily know ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, and again, Sarah Wyndham mm -hmm. did uh, yep. sort of engage in negotiations only to break them off a few weeks ago. All right. We'll watch Wyndham up 11 and a half percent. Just want to hit some other earnings movers for you. Lockheed Martin is one to watch, especially after last week. This is a stock that jumped 10 percent on the back of rising tensions and war in, in Israel, war, Israel's war against Hamas. Lockheed Martin is higher, uh, Mike, as the company beat earnings expectations. The CEO, Jim Tackley, he, he highlighted the $2.5 billion of free cash flow during the quarter, which was better than expected, with nearly 100 returned to shareholders through dividends and share repurchases, another reason people like defense stocks overall. But I think no big surprises as far as earnings, which was good for a company that has been plagued with supply chain issues, and inflation, and now investors are looking forward and saying, 
global tensions, yeah. this is a stock we need to be in and a group we need to be in. All of those defense players have had a really big run-up in the last week or so. They have, although they had been weak ahead of time. And so pushing against all those sort of obvious things right out in front mm -hmm. of where demand is going to remain strong um, is the fact that we have this logjam in Congress. And so yep. even though almost nobody believes there's going to be an appreciable drop in defense spending over time necessarily, uh, there is this mode out there where people are, you know, Republicans looking to cut the budget, we're not going to have a budget, and, and usually those stocks are kind of held hostage in that situation. Well, I mean, usually they get a bump when we have increased ge geopolitical yeah. tensions, and it takes a really prolonged and expanded right. event like we could see in the Middle East to see these stocks really keep, hold on to the gains there. We saw that during the war in Iraq. For procurement instance. programs. I mean, nothing really gets thrown off course, and, and you just add to the demand. It's, it's one of those things where trading psychology gets in the way uh, when you have the, the, the issues with the budget. David mentioned China and, and potential retaliatory action against the chips. By the way, NVIDIA is the worst performer right now in the S&P. It's down a little more than 5.5%. You know, we're also watching the Chinese property problems in this country garden, which has become a poster child for some of the indebted property sectors. This is the developer that could see its first ever public dollar default. So, so we're, we're coming up here against the deadline. They have until, not clear, 17th or 18th, yeah. because it was a one-month extension from, from September 17th. David, and, and if they don't pay that $15.4 billion coupon by the end of this 30-day grace period, that's a technical default and could make things worse over there. Yeah, uh, Sarah, we've uh, uh, clearly been focused, as so many have, on the property sector in general and the concerns there. Um, all right, want to bring it back here to the Pierre Hotel in uh, Midtown Manhattan because we are live, as we are every year now for many years, from 13D Monitors Active Passive Conference. And we are bringing you the latest activist headlines. Storbird's Jeff Smith just wrapped up his presentation. He announced ideas that included News Corp, Fortria, GoDaddy, which has been a position of theirs for some time. And uh, he joins me here now, as you have every year, which I always appreciate for some time. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Um, let's start off with News Corp. Uh, you know, the news seemed to be out a little bit that you guys were taking a look at that and establishing a position there. Uh, why? Yeah, look, David, it's a great business. It's a great asset it's just too cheap so um we took a position and the company is made up of a number of assets which i think a lot of people know most notably is dow jones which includes the wall street journal and, and some other things um but they also own a real estate business they own an interest in rea which is publicly traded in australia and they own a 60 61 percent ownership stake in rea um, that was an amazing investment for them. So it was about 20 years ago, Lachlan actually saved REA. He, he invested about $10 million at the time for 40-something percent uh, of REA. It's grown to 60%. Today, that, that investment alone is worth $8 billion. And it trades. So it trades right, so in Australia. It's, it's worth. worth. It's not a question here. In it's worth $8 billion. The rest of News Corp then, given the $12 billion enterprise value, is only worth $4 billion. And the truth is it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So how do you unlock that value if you're News Corp? Uh, I mean, it's not as though this is a surprise to them as well. They can do math. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think they can. They know it. I mean, we've spoken to them. So the rest of News Corp, again, $4 billion, that's only four times EBITDA. Right. Which so, is far less than, for example, what the New York Times trades at or any of the other public comps that you want to look right, at right. in terms of the news business. Right. New York Times trades at 15 times. Right. So they can do math. 
so the question is, you know, what do you do about it, and why do you do it, and when do you do it, and how do you do it? Um, you know, our, our belief is that they're going to want to do it, that they're going to want to separate the real estate, digital real estate assets to be able to highlight this beautiful business for what it's worth. They can't be happy that their business, their crown jewel of a business is trading at four times EBITDA when they look at their peer, their competitor that they've competed with forever, where their metrics are better than the New York Times on a lot of different fronts. And the New York Times trades at 15 times and traded four times. Right. I mean, they have a higher EBITDA margin, I think, than the New York Times does, they have for higher, example. Higher EBITDA margin, um, more digital subscribers, better. They, a lot of metrics. They also have, move, we're taking a look now to, uh, uh, at the screen here, move.com as well, right? They Which they own, I think it's 80%. They own it with CoStar. There had been an attempt to potentially sell that some time back. Would that be included in a divestiture, so to speak, of the real estate assets or a separation? Well, it depends. So, so Move is Realtor.com, so a lot of the viewers might know that brand, yep. and it's a, a great, great business also. Um, it's also non-core to the media, media business, and Move can be sold, or it might be combined with REA in a spin-out to make it a tax-free spin-off. So there's a lot of different choices. I think often people are saying, well, okay, but why have, to your point, why haven't, why haven't they done it? I believe they just haven't done it because I believe because they were a little insecure about leaving the rest of News Corp standalone for a long period of time. I mean, you know, being in this industry, that being in the media industry for a while was something that people were worried about, especially in print. It's right? challenging. It still is challenging. <laughs> Even sure. with the move to digital, successfully executed to a certain extent by the Wall Street Journal, for example, it's still challenging. Sure. A lot of worries. Without a doubt. But they've come out of the most challenging time from their standpoint. So I would say 10 years ago, it might have been something they didn't want to do. They wanted to leave REA in with the conglomerate to help bolster the remaining business. I would say five years ago, they didn't need it as much. But we had a lot of things that happened over the last five years, which might have stalled their progress in making this separation. Now, there's not as much of an issue. There's plenty of cash flow. There's plenty of scale in the remaining business. And the real estate business is non-core. And frankly, I think, you know, Lachlan's done an amazing job at being able to create that value, and it should be identified. It should be separated for their shareholders, for their stakeholders. This is, this is their duty. I mean, they, they own, it's true, they own 40% of the B shares. They own 40% of the vote, of which the is vote, basically which is negative control. I mean, it may not be complete control, but you're not going to be able to replace the board here, Jeff. Well, you never know, but really, you never know. I'm well, not saying what exactly what, is it you do as a strategy to to get those well, votes. Then come on. Well, if you're advocating for something that everybody wants, then that's more than forty percent. That being said, I don't think you need to do that. I'd love to see that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that you need to do that. I mean, what we're asking for is good for their business. It's good for their family. It's good for the shareholders. It's good for their employees. Their employees have stock and stock options. It's not good for everybody to have an undervalued stock. And this digital real estate isn't really core to what they do. It's not their crown jewel. It's not their baby. It is something they rescued. It's an amazing investment. If they separate it, you're taking a business that's going to then be highlighted. The remaining News Corp business can't trade it four times. Right. can't. Well, you, you mentioned you've spoken to them. So what was their response to the extent you can share it when you actually shared your, uh, your belief about what a separation would do? Well, it, it's similar to what we just talked about. I mean, they, obviously they know the math. I mean, this isn't novel. We're not the first ones to, to bring this up. Um, they also would recognize that, as I mentioned, that some time ago 
it may not have been the right time because the remaining business wouldn't have been strong enough. But you seem to indicate that perhaps that time has passed and now there is a recognition on the part of management, who I have not spoken with, that, that they might be able to execute something along yeah. those lines. I don't, or is I that don't, your hope or is that your expectation? It's probably somewhere in between. Um, so I don't know that they're going to do anything. We're going to continue to have those conversations. But I believe they should. And I believe they understand or should understand that they, again, they have a duty not only to the B holders, of which they have 40%. They have a duty to the A holders. They have a duty to their, share, to their employees. And this isn't overly hard to do. Versus, you know, it's not great governance to have dual class. You know, there, there have been votes to declassify. Yep. Um, it's something to consider as well. But there's easier paths to create a lot of value. Uh, a year ago, of course, they were talking about trying to put News Corp together with Fox. I would assume that's something you don't necessarily think would be positive for shareholders. We don't think that that's a good idea. You don't? We don't. Uh, do you have any expectation they may try to entertain that again? I don't know. We haven't had that conversation. Okay. Uh, all right. In the time we have left, let's move on. You had a couple of others. GoDaddy's been a position for yours for a long time. You're still sort of pushing at them. Why? Yeah, GoDaddy's a great business. I mean, You've owned so, it for years now. Yeah, a few years. Yeah, uh, yeah they're, they're, the, they're the, the largest player in domain registration. So if you go and you want CNBC.com, you have to go somewhere to get CNBC.com. And then once you have it, you have to keep renewing it every year, and in addition to all the ancillary services. So it's a highly sticky business. It's an amazing business. Last year, we talked about a few businesses. Last year, we talked about well, Salesforce. Salesforce, we spent a lot of time on. You started it all off right here in this interview, right. which ended up being, my God, one of the more interesting activist brawls we saw to the extent there was one. But you were underlining the fact that they were under-earning, essentially. Yeah, and actually, I would say, even though it's not exactly, exactly a corollary, Salesforce is actually also a little similar to News Corp in that running a proxy contest with Mark Benioff on the other side isn't all that easy to do either, right? So instead, you're able to work with people and, and get people to understand what's best for the company, what's best for the shareholders, what's best for the stakeholders, and end up with a really terrific engagement and a terrific relationship. right now, 41% since you announced your stake, not right. bad. So for Salesforce, for Splunk, and for others last year, there, there was a move for these technology companies that were formerly fast-growing businesses to get them to refocus with the markets refocusing to refocus on a balance of growth and profitability. And that's your hope for GoDaddy then? GoDaddy needs, to, to GoDaddy needs to do that. So GoDaddy on a growth plus profitability measure has actually been going in the wrong direction. Most technology companies are going in the right direction. They're refocused on margin improvement and the combination of growth and margin are now much more acceptable. Um, and you can just look at peers to see where, where you should get to. And, and GoDaddy's gone in the last year from 38 to 31% on that metric. Their peers are at 40% just for median, but they have a scaled business with terrific margins as we talked about before, extremely sticky. They should be able to get to 40% and higher. And right. all they have to do, it's almost, it's very similar to Salesforce. All they have to do is decide they want to do it. And these, these are dials that they can turn. If they want to. If they want to. They yeah. just have to decide that they want to focus on that margin improvement, get the margins up to 35% plus, and they're going to have growth plus margins over 40% and a stock price that does really, really well. Jeff, um, we're out of time, basically. I did want to give you 30 seconds here on Fortria because that's the one name. It's a small company, so I don't want to spend, I'm not going to spend much time on it. I don't have much time. But it is up today. Uh, why? Why are, you, why are you in there? What's 
in 30 seconds, give me the yeah, take here. I'm not great with time, as we talked about. Not, <laughs> I know you're not. I wish, listen, I wish we had all day. Yeah, well, me too. Um, Fortria is a CRO, contract research organization. It was spun out of LabCorp and with a great CEO. So a CEO has done this before, Tom Pike. He was at Quintiles, which is now IQVIA. And the answer is inside, it, inside LabCorp, they were, really weren't focused on the margins. Again, it's about margins. Yep. And so when it's been spun out, it's been spun out with 9% margins, EBITDA margins. The peers are twice that at 18, 19%. And we believe that there's an opportunity to do this. It's a small industry. There's only a handful of players that have the scale to compete. They're one of them. And so we're really excited about the, the wind behind the industry. And we're really excited about the margin improvement opportunity at the company. Well, you did it, by the way. Well, well done. You. you see, you can. Jeff, thanks for, uh, for the time, as always. We really appreciate it. Thank you, David. Jeff Smith from Starboard. Sarah, send it back to you. All right, David, thank you very much. And before we head to break, we've got to hit the bond report and follow up on how treasuries are faring this morning because that is the main story of the markets right now, and that is yields continuing this relentless rise higher as bonds sell off. 485, we're watching levels. 488 was the high on October 6th. Around 489 would be the new cycle high, reacting to some strong retail sales and industrial production. We'll be right back. Harvard facing continued criticism from high-profile donors over its response to the Israel-Hamas conflict. The Wexner Foundation now, which was started by L. Brown's founder, Les Wexner, the latest to cut ties, saying it was sickened with the school's dismal failure to condemn the Hamas attacks. The foundation has funded fellowships at the Kennedy School for more than 30 years. But in a letter to the school's board of overseers yesterday, it said, in part, quote, in the absence of a clear moral stand that they are, quote, no longer compatible partners, our core values, and those of Harvard no longer align. They were in particular angry, Mike, that, they did, that the leadership didn't take a clear and unequivocal stand against the barbaric murders of innocent Israeli citizens. Um, this is, a, this is yep. a family that's what, estimated to be worth about $6 billion, according to Forbes, the, the billionaires behind Bath & Body Works and The Limited and, yeah. and Victoria's Secret. Um, it is just the latest in a string of very high profile and very important donors in places like Harvard. We've seen it at Penn yeah. as well. You have this, to go activist. This, this alumni donor class, always an unstable relationship maybe with what was happening on the campuses, and this has all brought a lot of it to it. Does end. it change yeah. things? You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix.